welcome to the premiere edition of The Hard Sell with me, your host, uh, Joel Stevenson. A, a little bit about the show since it's our first one. Um, the idea is that, you know, whether or not you work as a salesperson, we all end up selling things. A lot of times we're selling ourselves, whether it's in an interview or, or college application, but sometimes we're selling things like a car or, or even a company. And our goal is to help you win when sales opportunities present themselves by bringing leaders in the field together to share what works and what doesn't, and generally try to help you figure out things that uh, would be really hard for you to, to, to learn on your own um, without the advice of, of some experts. So uh, we've got uh, a great first guest um, for the podcast, so really happy to to, to welcome Eric Sue. Um, Eric's an investor, uh, founder, advisor to companies. Um, he's chairman of Digital Agency Single Grain, and he has a couple of podcasts uh, that are long running and, and very popular Marketing School with Neil Patel and Leveling Up, which is an entrepreneurial podcast where he dissects growth leaders, uh, growth growth levers uh, that help businesses scale. And most excitingly, and, and something we're going to talk about in a minute, is Eric just released his first book, Leveling Up, um, How to Master the Game of Life. And so, Eric, welcome to The Hard Sell. Thanks for having me, Joel. Very excited to be the first guest. Yeah, great. Well, you know, like I mentioned in the green room, it's a new podcast host, new podcast platform, and a new podcast. So, you know, what, what could go wrong? <laughs> uh, we're, we're, I think you'll be. I think you'll be fine. You're going to pull us through. Um, so let's. Why don't, why don't we talk a little bit about um, the book and and maybe if you could just give us kind of the the thumbnail background um, of uh, kind of your early career, which I think, uh, from what I understand, informed a lot of the book and, and why you wrote it. So we just get you know, give us a little bit about your history and what brought you to the book, and then let's talk a little bit about um, the book and, and how it applies to sales. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I mean, the so I have a book called uh, Leveling Up, and really, that's the book is based on really my background playing video games, computer games growing up. So, anybody that's played games such as StarCraft or Counter Strike or anything, um, it's really those types of games, right? And so, those those experiences really helped shape how I look at the world and really shape my philosophies and how I think about things. And I decided to put together the book because I saw a big opportunity in terms of where the gaming market was is, is currently going, right? You have over 3 billion people in the world that have played a game. And, um, you know, those people are going to, they're going to be decision makers and buyers of the future. So now is a, probably a pretty good time to kind of attack, um, you know, that attack from that angle and really just write like a personal growth book um, with gaming in, in mind. So that's why I created the book in the first place. Uh, but also, um, I decided to create the book because I wanted to, from kind of a marketing perspective, from like a content marketing perspective, I wanted to create a foundational content piece that really revolves around my my philosophies, right? And from that, you know, from that book, I can start to build, um, you know, other stuff on top of it. Right, right. Neat. And, and maybe talk a little bit about... Um... You know, this concept, I mean, I think the, you know, a lot of us have this idea of, um, you know, gamers as like, you know, wasting their life or, you know, like I think China just recently instituted um, some rules around like actual like the the amount of hours that people can can play games. And like there's probably some misconceptions there, but also 
you know, maybe talk about your transition from uh, somebody that used to do a lot. I think you also used to be like quite a high level poker player to, to getting into business to then, you know, trying to help other people follow a, a similar path. Yeah. I mean, so one of, one of the simplest analogies I use is if you think about, you know, kids playing football or basketball or golf, they're going there partly because they're kind of, they're training, right? They're training their skills in communication. They're, they're training their ability to work in a team. And there's a lot, they're training themselves in terms of powering through adversity as well. And you can also learn those things through games. Uh, that's how I learned how to play at a very high level, how to recruit people, how to join the best teams. And that directly relates with the world of business, with the world of selling as well. If you want to build a, a sales machine, you got to learn how to recruit the best closers, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I, here's, here's the other thing about um, talking about China for a second. If, if, you know, China just kind of banned um, Bitcoin mining, right? But what ends up happening is if the market wants it, if the market wants to play games, if the market wants to mine Bitcoin, um, the market's going to do it. And at a certain point, the governments won't be able to, to hold these things back, right? So um, I think it's actually a good signal that the government's trying to ban this stuff um, because it just shows the demand for it. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle once it uh, once it's it starts to get out there. So maybe um uh, talking a little bit about the the book specifically. So you've got a you've got a section in the book that sort of talks about and and maybe you you could set up a little bit about the um, the power ups and kind of how the the book is structured. But there's a there's a section in the book that talks about. Um, alchemy, which is sort of this idea of you know, bringing something from nothing, and and you have an analogy in that section, I believe, in, in sales and marketing. So maybe talk to us a little bit about uh, a little bit about that and the setup, and then I want to delve into some specifics about how that applies uh, to, to sales and why that's important. Yeah, so I mean, the book is fundamentally based on the fact that you, when you go about through life, you can collect different power ups. So you can learn how to, let's say, uh, selling would be a power up, marketing would be a power up, um, learning how to repeat, um, you know, certain habits, right? That, that means like working out every day. Like these are all little power ups that you can collect. There's, there can also be negative power ups where um, maybe you drink too much or you do too much drugs or you don't sleep, right? Um, so life is really about finding these power ups and really continuing to hone these or refine these over time. And you just get stronger and stronger if you have the right habits or the right power-ups in place. Now, in one of the chapters, it's titled Alchemy. And you know, when I used to play games, there would be these alchemists, right? Or a spell that you could cast where you can kind of create things out of thin air. I believe that you know, marketing at the end of the day is bringing people to the point of sale. And sale, sales is just closing them, right? And so those two kind of go hand in hand. And a lot of people make excuses about saying, oh, I'm not a marketer or no, oh, I'm not a salesperson. But at the end of the day, we're always trying to attract to get people to do what we want. And we're always trying to close to get people to do what we want as well. So um, that's why it's very important to to me to learn not, not just sales, but also marketing as well. So that's why I kind of combined the two into alchemy. Right, right. And there's sort of a long and storied history of sales and marketing teams hating each other uh, because the sales teams will say, well, marketing, you didn't bring enough leads or you didn't bring the right leads. And then sort of the marketing side saying, well, like we brought you all the good leads and you couldn't pl- close them. And so you're the you're the problem. And there's you know various ways that people are trying to solve that. But I, I wonder with all your experience in uh, digital agencies where you are sort of driving a bunch of lead flow to people like what what are some things that you've seen 
work well, like in the sense, or, or like, could you get a sense early on of like, Hey, this is going to be a company that's going to actually deliver on these leads or like, this is a company that it like, I have very low confidence that whatever we do for them is going to work. Or like, did you have that sense? And if so, like, what are some of the signs either in the, the positive or the negative direction? Yeah. So, you know, there's one company that comes to mind. I mean, they're a large kind of VoIP company. They do, they, they do like a couple hundred million dollars in revenue a year. And they have a sales machine. I mean, it's, um, you know, we work with them on a pay for performance basis. And in order to do that, you know, that that's also very risky on our side. So if we're going to run your ads for you and we take on all the risk, meaning we front all the ad spend, um, we're going to make sure that if we're going to partner up with you, you, you have your, you have your stuff down when it comes to sales. So, you know, we visited their office and, you know, they have, um, they haven't, this is pre-COVID. They had an entire sales floor. They had, um, I believe they're using Ambition. So they had like a sales leaderboard and all that. And, um, you know, I asked about their conversion rates. I asked, I asked to look at their CRM. So everything was transparent, front and center. Numbers look good. They were willing to share that stuff. And um, that's what it takes. I mean, if, if we're going to partner up with a, like a sales organization, you know, they better be transparent with us. They better be honest. And then they better, they better be hitting numbers and they better have a sales team. Um, so by, you know, with, Looking at those four attributes, um, you know, those are not easy to kind of fulfill, but they managed to check all four of the boxes and it worked out. Yeah, yeah, that that's great. That's great. Yeah, we um, it, it's interesting. At least in our line of work, we we see a lot of different sales teams, and there does seem to be a correlation between uh, analytical rigor uh, and success in sales, which I think for a lot of people maybe is not intuitive. Um, but it, you know, as things become more and more digital, we're certainly seeing that. Um, that, that playing a big role. Um, so turning back to the book for a moment, um, you know, you've got, uh, all sorts of wisdom, um, for folks about, you know, how, how they can get better at all sorts of things. And part of it is, um, this notion of overcoming negativity, which in sales is something that, you know, every salesperson that's good, uh, is going to have to have a good muscle built up here because it's sort of a, a game of constant rejection. And so maybe talk a little bit about, uh, some of the lessons uh, that that you've learned over time, and that and that you expound on in the book about how to deal with rejection and negativity, and and make make a positive out of a negative. Yeah, I mean, I love negativity. So l- let me tell you why, right? So it's that in itself is, is shows you kind of how I think about it. Um, and and the reason I, I I made that comment is because it's a reframe. And so to me, you know, negativity or failures those are the types of things that actually end up making me stronger. So instead of looking at it in such a negative way and letting it bring me down, which definitely, let's say middle school or high school, like negativity or failure would bring me down. And I I feel too um, scared to try again. Um, But over the years, you know, because of, uh, let's just say my Asian upbringing or whatever, you know, you have a tiger mom um, bearing down on you. um, You've kind of, you kind of have to learn to say, hey, you know what, um, what can I learn from this? And, you know, is this going to make me stronger, right? So now when there's any type of criticism at all or there's any type of negative negativity or there's any type of failure, um, I just know that it's going to make me stronger. And, um, you know, I'm looking for the lesson each time, right? So I think most people, the vast majority of people, look at, um, look at negativity as a setback and then they start to go down this downward spiral and it just it, the, the negativity or the, the poor results just compound and they can't recover from that, right? So... I think a lot of life is about reframing things um, into positives, right? So that that would be a, a perfect example of that. Like, I'll, I'll give you another example. Real life, um, a couple of years ago, I had someone uh, tell me that um, they're, you know, they thought that was small time, right? 
And, um, you know, I actually enjoyed that. And that actually made me, you know, get a lot better. Right. And, and I also confronted the person as well. And that person felt very, uh, you know, apologetic. And then, um, you know, we actually became really good friends after that. Right. So, you know, the old me would be like, you know, screw you. Like, I'm not going to talk to you. And then maybe I'll get really sad about it. Maybe in like high school or something, but now it's just, um, you know, you just take your licking and you move on because failure is kind of a ticket to success. Right. Yeah. We, um, uh, you know, in, in, at least with, with some of the customers that, that we work with, we typically would find, like, I think a decent, you know, in a modern funnel, like from the point at which a, you, you sort of learn about a lead to when you actually close them, like a, a decent close rate might be, you know, in the single digits uh, mm-hmm. type of range. And so if you think about like getting to a win means, you know, getting said no to 95 times and like you actually might be pretty good, you know, if you can, if you can hit those, those sorts of ratios. Um, so yeah, it just goes to show that if you're, if you're focused on, uh, on the downside outcome, like you, you, you probably will never get to, you know, those few, those few, uh, massive upsides that, uh, that can make your number, make your year, uh, I, I et cetera. Mean, Mark Cuban says this, right. The invest, one of the investors in this app, I mean, every no brings me closer to a yes. So learn to enjoy the no's. learn to enjoy kind of, uh, taking a licking. Yeah, right. Right. Um, so, something that we were, we were chatting about a little bit earlier, which I, I honestly was not expecting to talk about, but I think it's a, it's a fascinating subject and, and, and we should go there a little bit. So, you know, there, there's all sorts of different, um, uh, if you think about sort of the product development life cycle where, you, you know, you might be selling a product that no one's ever heard of before. You might be selling a product that, um, is very mature and it's more of a price type of thing. And, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, innovation side a little bit and like things that are new and helping people understand things that are new. Cause I understand that you are quite into the NFT world, which is sort of a, a, a brave new world for a lot of us. And so maybe you could talk a little bit about um, NFTs and what they mean and, and how to think about them. And then um, maybe a little bit about just sort of like if, if you were, you know, if you were a salesperson trying to convince somebody to invest in an NFT or buy an NFT from from you or somebody else, we just give us that talk track a little bit about uh, about what what would make somebody do that. Yeah, so NFTs stand for non fungible tokens, and to me, the easiest way to think about them is that they are digital collectibles. And this is the first time in human history where we're actually able to prove digital scarcity, right? So if you think about the, the Mona Lisa is kind of the canonical example over here. So uh, everyone's like, okay, so, you know, the Mona Lisa, <clears throat> why is it worth a lot of money? Well, um, it's because the original is scarce. It's, it's a one of one, right? Um, you know, if you printed out a bunch of replicas of it, I mean, the, the replicas might be worth like a couple thousand dollars, a couple hundred dollars, whatever. Or you could say, oh, I can just take a JPEG of it and, and save it, right? Um, the point is, art is, is really expensive it's because it, it's because it's scarce. Real estate is expensive because it's scarce. Right. So the first time in history, we can now prove digital scarcity. And so you might be thinking, okay, Eric, well, how does this apply to business? Here are a couple practical examples. And um, I'm actually going to an NFT conference next week in New York. And um, the, the profile picture you see um, in this, as of this recording, if you're, I guess, if you're in Fireside, um, that's, these, are the fir- these are the first NFTs ever, right? And there's only 10,000 of them. So you can bet that these will be worth something long term. Um, and, and have they, have they already appreciated in value since when you acquired them? Yeah. So this yeah. one, my, my profile picture, I, I in us dollars, you know, I basically bought it for like 37 grand and now it's worth about 550 grand. 
right? And so, you know, this is over a period of a couple months or so. And, you know, I would really encourage people not to look at it from like, a, oh, like you're trying to invest in these things because these are, um, I think 99% of these things will go to zero. So mm-hmm. the way I'm looking at these right now and the way we're building out our NFT project is a couple things, right? And I'm going to give you some examples. So those of you that know Gary V. Gary V has an NFT project called V Friends. So that's V-E-E-Friends.com. And um, he's got, you know, 10,000 of these. And these are kind of, you know, different characters that he drew out by hand. Okay. And what's unique about these is that he has a conference that's coming um, in March. And you need to have one of his NFTs to get in. So he's going to have a big conference at Viking Stadium in Minnesota. And so basically just tells you that, oh, you can, you're buying this NFT for um, community. You're buying it for kind of access. And also you're betting on Gary V in terms of developing these characters, developing the IP of these. And, you know, if he becomes very, very popular, like Marvel or Disney popular, these NFTs will become worth a lot, right? So there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but the way I'm looking at it right now in terms of how we're developing ours is, you know, we are developing, you know, a very strong community and um, we're planning to character develop these for the long term because I want to have, um, leveling up is all about personal growth, right? So I want to have perhaps, you know, storybooks in the future or cartoons or whatever, right? But, um, you know, we're going to we're gonna take it slowly. And, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot that you can do uh, in terms of, you know, community um, and also utility tokens, utility access, meaning like, here's an example. If you buy one of Gary V's uh, NFTs, like a very specific one, for three years, um, one time a year, you can go to a New York Knicks game with him and sit courtside, right? Like that's pretty special. Or you can go to like a dinner with him, with, like other entrepreneurs. So there's a lot of things you can do here. Right, right. Yeah, that that's interesting. And so like, what? and so what do you think if, you know, so let's say, um, let's say I, I, I'm an investor off the street um, or, or would you even frame it that way? Is it sort of like the, the, the way to think about, um, is the way to think about N- NFTs as, as an investor or is it, is it a novelty or like, what is it all of those things? What, how, how do you, how do you frame it up? I think it's, it's, it's tougher for me. Like one of my friends right now, he has like 25 of these, um, like the things in my profile. And so I think his portfolio is actually worth like 40 or $50 million right now. Hmm. Um, I, I just, I think it's tough in my opinion, cause I, I like to, I'm largely a buy and hold type of guy. And so, um, you know, I, I just don't see it as an investment right now. To me, it's more of like a, you know, um, more of an art type of thing and more of me buying access, right? So all the NFTs, most of, I'd say 80 to 90% of the NFTs I own right now give me access to, for example, next week when I'm in New York, there's a yacht party, okay? And only NFT holders can get into the, that yacht party. There's gonna be like a thousand people. So I guess it's a big boat. Um, and then there's a warehouse party and then there's a private uh, charity dinner at Carbone next week in New York, right? And Again, I cannot get in if I don't have the NFT. And so to me, getting special access and then meeting um, great people, like I've always been from a sales perspective, I've always been big on building relationships for the long term and being able to get in on this at the ground floor level right now and being able to build those relationships right now, that to me is worth a lot more than whatever I paid for these things. Right, right. Interesting. So it's sort of like you view it as, um, there's an opportunity to gain access to a set of things that you don't currently have access to. And as a possible byproduct, these things will be worth more over time, but that sort of gravy on top of, um, uh, you know, sort of almost like, almost like a purchased experience versus, um, versus like, 
you know, uh, I suppose in some sense, like art, you, you, you buy art, you experience art, but, um, some people want to invest in art, but some people just like to look at art. Um, so it seems like there's some parallels there. Yeah. I mean, to- totally. I mean, it's, um, when I think about, you know, paying for a Ted conference ticket pre COVID, right. So that would be like 15 grand a year, um, paying for singularity university, the executive program, 15 grand, um, these to me, or, or like any like YPO or EO, any of these groups, um, it's, it's worth so much more than that because, um, at the end of the day, people like doing business with people and it's all about relationships. Um, it's just a lot of the attention is, is going here. Like never in my life did I think I'd be able to interact with some of the top DJs in the world or like NFL wide receivers, but it's because I'm in this space right now. So I think there's something to be said about being at the ground floor of this stuff in the very beginning. So. Yeah. It's super, it's super, super exciting. Um, well, maybe as a, as a closing thought before, um, before we take questions uh, from, uh, from the audience, if, if there are any, you know, maybe just as you reflect back upon um, your career and uh, you, you reflect back upon the, uh, the writing and all the podcasting that you've done, like if you were to, to distill, you know, maybe one or two uh, lessons or best practices to, to be good at sales and have that be a part of uh, one of the, you know, one of the, one of your power-ups or one of the things that you're good at, um, what, what would be the one or two words of wisdom you have for folks that, that understand that this is important, but maybe, you know, need to, need to work to get better at it? Yeah. I think this really applies to, to anything around building an audience or a business or building like a sales machine. It typically takes two to three years for whatever reason. I don't know if that's, that's what you found, but I was talking about this with my podcast co-host, Neil. So we started a lot of different projects. We've started a lot of different businesses. We bought other businesses. Um, but for whatever reason, to really get something going, it typically takes two to three years. Um, but if you hit lightning in the bottle, good for you. But um, that's generally just the trend that I've seen. So just being kind of, um, you know, long-term patient, but short-term impatient, that's always worked out. Yeah, uh, that reminds me, there was a uh, an HBR article from years and years ago that uh, interviewed Jeff Bezos. It's, it's maybe 15 years old at this point. And um one of the things that struck me about that article was he talked about this concept of at Amazon, it normally took seven years uh, for something to go from kind of an idea to something that was really big and impacted the company. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, my experience at Wayfair was similar to that where like, you know, and those are, you know, big, you know, sort of massive organizations, but yeah, I think patience is, uh, patience is truly a virtue of these things and being able to look at the small leading indicators and, uh, in, in building those up over time is, is, is super important. So that's uh, that's great advice. Um, okay. So I'm going to pause the questions he, here and see if anybody has, so th- again, this is our first podcast. There's a question about whether I can even operate the thing properly, but um, <laughs> if you've got, if, if folks have questions, um, let me know. Um, and I will try to identify that you have a question and bring you up on stage to ask it. Okay. Well, um, you know, if anybody has questions, I guess, uh, you know, email me. Um, but Eric, um, before we go, what, you know, let us know, um, what's, uh, where can people find the book and, um, if people want to follow your work online or in other, in other venues, what, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric O S I U or on Instagram, same username, Eric O S U. Um, and you can just go to levelingup.com if you want to learn more about the book. Great. Okay. Well, hey, um, really appreciate you taking some time out to cover uh, a number of uh, fascinating topics. And 
Um, enjoy the uh, enjoy the yacht party. I'm sorry I will not be joining you there um, <laughs> as I um, am now going to go scramble to very quickly try to figure out what NFTs are all about. But uh, but I hope you have a great time there, and uh, I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, you did great. This is great, Joel. And thanks, everyone, for joining. Okay, thanks.